This week, we travel to the Southern California Gang Conference being held in San Diego, and we catch up with many of our previous guests, starting off with Claudia Apollinar. What was it like for you to get up there and tell your story in front of a room, I mean, a packed room full of cops? I get nervous every single time that I go up there, especially, I mean, a lot of them have been on for years, and I'm up there with only seven months of patrol experience, so I... I'm still in that training mode. I don't have the experience that most of these guys and women have out there. And it's like, I, I, I get really nervous. I can't explain it. It's different when it's a recruit class than when it's a, a class full of people that have been on for a while. Welcome to Game of Crimes. Murph, I am on a hunt. Four. The motherfucker at Apple who is screwing with my episodes <laughs> and our episodes, episode 53. I have, if you folks are listening out there, I apologize. Nothing we did. It showed up on the platforms just fine. But every time with Apple, I would upload it. Uh, episode two would overwrite episode one, and it wouldn't even change the ID. It's like every episode has its own ID, you know, its own URL. Yeah. So... If you see me in a, as as we found out on our Patreon thing, you can't make this shit up. If I'm in if I'm in a black baklava instead of balaclava, <laughs> if I'm wearing baklava, you know I'm out hunting somebody at Apple. Uh, you've been to a Greek restaurant or something. I don't know. Oh God, Lord. Anyway, that was so much fun. Anyway, hey guys, well welcome back. I'm Morgan Wright. I'm your host with the most. Uh, and like we said, we you know we we failed to kind of give our bio sometimes. So you know I am a former state trooper, which Murph has aspired to be, detective, <clears> senior <throat> advisor, State Department, you know, diplomatic passport holder, uh, world traveler, um, you know. Just hobnob with kings and queens. You know, that's me. He's a nerd. (laughs) And you? And what are you? I'm an old fart. (laughs) I'm a retired 38-year police officer, Bluefield, West Virginia, six years, railroad police, six years, DEA, 26 years. So I think it adds 38, right? And want to be trooper thirty eight years, yes. Yeah, so we, yeah. we know that. Yeah, I, I. Well, you know, if I wanted to learn how to change a tire, I'd become a trooper. So here we go. Here we <laughs> go again. Here we go. That's White Snake, by the way. Hey guys, welcome back. Uh, and by the way, there's the end of our, uh, you know, small talk. It's in the script. We have to stop with the small talk because we're now into the <laughs> housekeeping. So housekeeping. Hey, that Apple review, Spotify review. Just head on over there. Give us five stars, single stars. We love it when you guys do stuff like that really helps us get the show out. Even when the even when Apple screws up the episodes like they did. And look, I got to give cut them a break. This is the first time that's really happened. So, but we will figure it out. Also head on over to our website gameofcrimespodcast.com. In fact, if you want to listen to the episodes, you can actually listen to them there as well. We've got a little, you know, embedded web player. You can do it all there. Check out our book list. Uh we've got a guest going to be coming up here in the next couple three weeks. He's got six books. I'm not going to tell you too much about them right now, but just mm-hmm. trust me. That's going to be a good one. This is this is a legit dude, okay? And check us out at Game of Crimes on Twitter, at Game of Crimes Podcast on Facebook and the Instagram. But Steve, where you got to be, where you got to be, where do you have to be? You got to get over on Patreon and see what we're doing. Holy cow. I, I think there's more on Patreon than there is on a regular podcast now. 
there could be, yes, actually, we have a ton of stuff on there. Um, we've got, we just put out our June edition of You Can't Make This Shit Up, and that's where the uh, guy who wore <laughs> the article read, he wore a black baklava. So, you know, <laughs> maybe that was baklava that was cooked too long in the oven. I don't yeah, know. Probably. <laughs> That's funny, though. <laughs> and plus, hey, we also got our case of the month uh, coming up. We've got uh, our calls, our things we've been doing, 911, what's your emergency? Those have been really fun. Uh, good brain teasers. Uh, we've always got our good stuff, too. We have our, we'll have our live stream, our monthly review, uh, all of those good things. But you can only find those on Patreon. So go over to patreon.com slash game of crimes. Join up. And in fact, I just started the editing process. We will start issuing the first episodes of Narcos. The real DEA narcos talking about the real DEA narcos Cali edition. There you go. 16 hours, over 16 hours. I just got through getting that all to Chris and Dave, doing the transcripts and the audios and, you know, uh, loading them up for them. Swear to God, man, so much good stuff in there. It is. You know, you would think, holy cow, six hours, 16 hours on the same topic would be boring. I know the story and I was, I couldn't, <laughs> that's one of the best things we've done. I loved it. I mean, those two guys are fantastic. And, and the other partners that were on there, uh, uh, Jerry Salama and Ruben Prieto were involved in it. Maybe not as much as those two guys were, but just fantastic hearing the story. It's you're going to love it. I'm telling you. And the end of episode 12, this is one for the history <laughs> books, man. <laughs> you have to, so we will start the process of that, but it will only be available for the uh, guardian of the realm and warden of the throne level. So if you want to step up your game, that's how you do it, and that's how you get access to it. So anyway, patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. Also head over to paypal.com and use our email, Podcast at gmail.com or paypal.me slash Game of Crimes. Whatever it makes it easier for you to support the show and help us bring you even more exciting, scintillating, titillating, titillating, titillating okay. with tint, window tint. Hey, it's it's a word. It's a real word, Murph. <laughs> We're going downhill quickly here. Uh, well, speaking of going downhill quickly, you saw what I tagged you with, you know, press one for hillbilly. <laughs> I love that. That was fantastic. Did you come up with that? I, no, I stole it, like, as you do with most memes on there. But the other one, too, I, I can't remember who posted it, but somebody got a picture. The front plate of a car actually said, the plate said, sit down, strap in, hold on, and shut up. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we got to come up with some merch for that too. Hats, mugs, something, shirts. I don't know. We, we got to something. We just got to find the time to do it. I'll tell you more exactly. about that later. <laughs> anyway, exactly. but guys, remember though, this show, we have fun, but it is a show about crime. We talk about bad people doing bad things and bad people doing bad things to good people. We do take the stories very seriously, but. And if you're a first time listener, as you can already tell, we never take ourselves serious. We're going to have some good fun. Yes, we are. And one way we have good fun is we report from around the world, literally around the world, around the globe, about things happening in your neck of the woods. So that means you know what time it is, Murph, right? What time is it? It's time for Small, Small Town, Town Police Blotter. Yay! So, Steve, let's go. I know you worked a lot of stuff down in Colombia with Pablo, and when they wanted to show people they were serious, sometimes they might do things like you know, maybe shoot somebody in the hand or, you know, hit a knee or, you know, whack, you know, do something right to show that they're serious, right? Yeah, they were a little tough. This guy never would have cut it. Gary <laughs> Blance, 29, was arrested for kidnapping a bar owner near Lancaster, PA, in February. Police reported that Blance shot himself <laughs> in the foot with his 45 caliber revolver to show the victim what would happen to him if he were disobedient. Oh, uh, you know what? We should change this over to stupid criminals. <laughs> 
I don't stupid quite get the idea there, Dusty. Oh, my God. If you don't do what I'm telling you, I'm going to shoot this myself. This is what's going to happen. It hurts like a motherfucker. God damn, that hurts. <laughs> no wonder. What an idiot. I don't think oh I get God. it. Can you shoot yourself in the other foot? Then I'll really take you serious. And this guy probably would have done that, right? Or in the head. In the head. <laughs> you know what? A head like that is probably too hard to bullet. It wouldn't benefit. <laughs> And if it did, it wouldn't hit anything vital. So, Holy love. Oh, my goodness. That's right, unbelievable. Steve, so this sounds like it comes out of Florida, but it doesn't. It comes out of Angola, Indiana. All not right. Angola, the country. So Angola, Indiana. So, Steve, if you robbed a bank, let's assume that you robbed a bank, even at your advanced age, you know, knee problems, everything. You're <laughs> But if you robbed a bank and you hopped in your car, how fast do you think you would be driving to get the hell out of there? Well, I, I, now here's the thing. See, I would go normal speed because you don't want to draw attention to yourself. But criminals right. don't do that. They don't go normal speed. I'm glad you fell into my trap. A 71-year-old man charged with robbing a bank at Knife Point was held Thursday on a $500,000 bond. Why? Police said Ted Shively of Angola was arrested Wednesday after police noticed he was driving too slow. <laughs> he was stopped about five minutes after Star Financial Bank was held up. Police said he was driving away from the scene about 20 miles an hour. Boy, I bet he's white knuckle too. I bet he's got both hands on the wheel just gripping because he is scared to death. <laughs> Damn. Now, I said the speed limit. I didn't say under the speed limit. Speed li go the speed limit. Go the speed limit, right? <laughs> Oh, my goodness. What, what, so when they got him pulled over, how did they know he was the bank robber? Did one of the bank bags blow up or something? Or I, I don't know, Steve. I, I just read the article. I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't do investigations anymore on this stuff. <laughs> All right. It's still funny. Oh, here's one. If I was going to do an investigation, I would delegate this one to you because that's what I, you know, that's what you do as a leader. You delegate, you grow people, give them the skills they need to investigate complex cases, right? Just say, no, I got your delegation right here. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay, Skippy. Michael Sands, he uh, likes my new phrase. Okay, Skippy. Anyway, 1257, uh, 1247 p.m., a larceny theft. Steve, did you know that a resident of High Street reported someone came into her house while she was gone? Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Legitimate so far. Took her cell phone charger and shaved her dog. <laughs> well, you don't want to leave an ungroomed dog behind after you've committed a felony. This stuff is so stupid. Oh, did the catch you guy? I don't know. Basically, I think he got made a clean getaway. I, I don't know. I mean, just, just follow the guy who's, you know, who's breaking into houses to, you know, trim up the old. I don't want to say. Maybe, maybe he meant to trim something else. Maybe it's the two guys from Dumb and Dumber in that that Wolfmobile. There. Oh. Well, if you're the felony dog oh, shaver, uh, turn yourself in now. You know what? So and see now. He's just pissed off the world because you can go steal people's stuff and breaking their houses and, and other people don't get mad. But when you screw with their pets, boy, that's a capital offense right there. Well, and the, the Netflix series, Don't Fuck With Cats, uh, you know, that was, you know, people, yeah, you don't, don't mess, you don't tug on Superman's cape, you don't spit into the wind, mm -hmm. you don't fool around with the old, old ranger and you don't mess around with people who shave dogs. All right. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> anyway going, hey guys, going downhill quickly today. No, it's we? even going to go down worse. So, hey, this is going to be fun because we have set up Murph and I recently attended the Southern California Gang Conference out there and the Mel Sosa and Santee 
And uh, I mean, you got all the names out there. There's just so many we could mention. Yep. These guys took care of us. They treated us like VIPs, which, you know, I'm used to, um, except, <laughs> except, for, except for having the room right next to where they hold the concert. So at 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night, the music's still going on. The drunks are outside my window going, oh, that was a great concert. <laughs> yeah, hey, but we you, had, got, you got to listen to Boy George and Culture Club, didn't you? Boy George, got to hear Herb Albert. Yeah. So yeah, yeah no, but still. But anyway, but no, but great time. We stayed down at the Half Moon Bay. We had a uh, the conference at a undisclosed location, and so you're going to hear that the quality of these recordings is not normally what you hear like us because we, mm-hmm. we this was our first time we utilized our mobile podcasting platform as we call it the M the MPC. We're growing. We're the growing. The MPP, the mobile podcasting platform, I'm taking so, shit on the road. We deployed it uh, successfully, set it up, and we did interviews while we were down there. And that was interesting because we've, we're going to talk to you about the four interviews we're going to do, but the fifth one, we're not going to tell you the name and we're not going to really tell you what it is because it's going to be a surprise, but we'll, we'll kind of give you a hint. So, But the first one we talked to, we caught up with uh, Claudia Polinar. Man, it was so good to see her in person and what just, uh, I mean. She's one of the most motivational police, female police officer, any, any yep. police officer I've ever met anywhere. Uh, I, I, I gotta tell you, I started fangirling out on her when I met her cause we, we saw her, she was uh, the recipient of the Alex Collins bravery award, uh, for this year's conference. And this little girl, she's, she's about as tall as my daughters, man. And, and I just told her, you know what? You are now my third daughter. I'm just so proud of you. Everything you've done. She still has the most positive forward looking at it, uh, attitude as you're going to hear here in this catch up with her. So Claudia, love you to death. Thank you for coming on and doing this with us. Yeah, and so we were all having an event because, they, like I said, Mel and the guys, they took care of us. So we had an event down at a, a, a local bar. They closed off a whole section. It had pizza and everything. It was really good pizza. You remember that down mm-hmm, there? So mm-hmm. Claudia was getting ready to head back. I said, you know, you're just a gentleman thing. You don't want people to walk to their car. And I said, no, I'll walk you back. No, I'm fine. And I'm like, well, no, I'll walk you back. It's just not. <laughs> I've been shot before. I'll be fine. <laughs> How do you top that? Well, wait till she tells you about her dimples too. So yeah. I, love, I just love it. Oh, this yeah. is fantastic. And then the next person, you you can tell he was he's not really into his topic because it was tough to get Aaron Graham out of his shell and talk about <laughs> all the good stuff he's involved with. And you know, it is a lot of good stuff. And, and we really do need to bring him back on for a second interview because he's got so much more good stuff to talk about. Uh, his career or his when he started his police career as a San Diego police officer or shooting that he was involved with that he's not proud at all about. I mean, just I never knew about it until just recently. Uh, heartbreaking stories, but then moves on to DEA. And, and the stuff that Javier and I were doing, the leads that we were getting in Colombia, on drug trafficking that were going into Mexico, we were feeding them to Aaron and he's out in these major operations. I mean, how much, well, he'll tell you how much cocaine was seized. Yeah. That's the reason we did. That's the reason we did the podcast episode. So people could hear from him. Instead of me. I know. (laughs) I know. I get excited. I'm I'm just, I'm in awe of these people that we bring on the show. I really am. Uh, Really? Uh, No. And this is good stuff too. And then we got to catch up with Victor Avila and actually uh, Murph and I got to, work with him after he did a session we handled the q a yeah and you said we we set him up you you got you had it teed up <laughs> victor sandbagged us i said you son of a bitch you fucking sandbagged us uh-huh. and for people who don't know victor avila holds two world records for the longest pistol shot it in was the a world. Ten, in, the, in world. the world it was a 10 millimeter pistol was 1.14 miles, 2,010 yards. It took 11 seconds 
for the round to hit a 36 inch by 36 inch target. Unbelievable. And you you guys can see the, the video on YouTube. Just Google Victor Avila world record shot and you can see his videos. It's fantastic. I, you know, I shot competition. I'm, I still can't believe it. If I hadn't seen the video, I'd probably be looking at Victor and like, yeah, sure you did. Yeah. You know, most cops, when they qualify, have a tough time from the 25-yard line, much less the 2,000-yard line. It's, it's phenomenal. Uh, speaking of that, I've got my yearly qualification coming back up when I head back to Kansas. So uh, I've been practicing, though, man. I, I, I change a little bit techniques. You know, you got to adjust for age and stuff. So I'll be happy with that. And then uh, Lou, Mr. Eye Candy himself, Lou Velozzi. Oh, this guy's, I got, I got to tell you, cause this isn't in his, his catch up. I had the, I had the honor of introducing Lou before he spoke at the conference and he was the final keynote speaker of the entire conference. And that day, Javier and I had been out, well, a couple of days earlier, I think, no, 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 it was that day. You and I were sitting there, Morgan, at the table and these girls, I saw them, they kept, Lou was over talking to us and they kept looking over and I, of course, I thought they were looking at me. And so as bashful as I am, I walked over and I said, all right, ladies, I see you on our table over here. You want to buy one of our books, one of our hats? What are you doing here? And like, uh, could, could, could we get a picture with Mr. Velozzi? I'm like, well, you got me standing here. You don't want a picture with me? And, you know, and this old no. guy, this old gentleman comes over, police officer. He says, hey, I'll take a picture with you. <laughs> Helps me save face, you know. <laughs> so as I'm introducing Lou, and, you know, we try to make the funny introduction. introduction and, uh, and I said, let me tell you something, too. You ladies out there, I don't want any of you rushing the stage. And I pointed at these five or six young police officers, female police officers. And I said, I'm specifically talking to you because you didn't want me to take my damn picture today. And they started giggling like little schoolgirls. <laughs> so Lou's still, the, he still got it, brother. I mean, you got it, man. When you got it, flaunt it, right? Uh, he does, man. And it was so good because he's, he's following up on his book. He's got some good stuff going with his uh, little uh, uh, small feature, you know, that they've uh, put out to some movie yeah. festivals. They've got, and actually you guys have some interest potentially in something between you and uh, JP and Lou, right? Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're working on it now. Had a little snag with one of Lou's attorneys that he pat the man, young man, Pat Way, one young man, the, the attorney passed away. And so we're just having to wait till everything gets you know, figured out on the legal basis. Yeah. And then we're going to jump in hopefully with both feet. And when we do, when we can announce it, you will be our first people to know. They'll, we'll announce it right here on Game of Crimes. That's right. And now our fifth guest that's going to be on this catch up and sorry for a little bit of the long introduction, because this is kind of a unique thing. Mm-hmm. We're not going to tell you too much about him other than Steve, this was a totally unexpected interview. We had no idea. We knew he existed. We just didn't know he was going to be there. And when they introduced us to him and he said, yeah, I am X, we're like, no way. Yeah, we're like, dude, dude, listen, we've got a dude, podcast. Can dude. we interview you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, and and this, uh, this is a surprise. So I, I'll, you know me, if I keep talking, I'll let the surprise out of the bag here. So I'll show you. Yeah, there's three forms of communication, telephone, telegraph, telemurph. There yeah. you go. <laughs> there you go. Especially when we're talking about law enforcement, because these are my heroes. Well, remind me not to rob a bank with you. You'll wrap me out in the first three minutes after you get caught driving away 20 miles an hour below the speed limit. Hey, the first one to snitch gets the best deal. Uh, That's the way yeah. it works. We'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll see. If, you only have to snitch if you get caught. If you don't get caught, it's not a problem. Yeah, well, I, you know, I don't think you have to worry about me robbing banks. I'll eat cat food first. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, some of that cat food, not too bad. Not that I've tried any. Uh, maybe and, accidentally. And, and here's... A, a, a point of pride, 
Just because we retired does not mean that our oaths ever expired. We took an oath, and it continues to this day. Yeah. Some people, though, they kind of fractured their oath. and uh, They we didn't go to prison. We ran into one of those down there. I don't even want to give this guy your time. We'll just leave you with this. We ran into somebody who spoke down there, former cop, got connected with the crime family, ratted out his own brothers and sisters, gave information, took money, took drugs. And this guy acted like it was no big deal. And I got to tell you, what a piece of shit. I, I was embarrassed to be in the same room with this guy who had worn the badge. He did 14 years in prison. I'm with you 100%. That wasn't long enough. He's not one of us. No. He's one of them. One of them. But that being said, I think it's time we get into the interviews. Now, again, remember, these interviews are not the high quality that you've come to expect from us. We've we've leveled the audios. We've done our best. But these are these are actually in a, a building. You know, we, we had a room set aside for us. You might hear some of the conference stuff going on in the background. But I tell you, it's going to be fun. But, Steve, there's really only one way people can hear this, and that's we have to ask you, are you ready to play the biggest, baddest, most dangerous game of all, the original and unadulterated game of crimes? Truly. Get in. Sit down. Shut up. And hold on, this is, this is so unique, I can't wait to hear it again. All right, we are recording. This is going to be fun because we are all out here now in the Southern California Gang Conference being held in sunny it's semi-cloudy, San Diego. Hey, it's beautiful here. <laughs> it's beautiful. A bad day in San Diego beats a good day in most places, right? Uh, absolutely. And we have our new, this is our new portable podcast setup. So I brought it out on a Pelican case, and we, we have run into so many people here at the conference that we had done episodes with. So I thought, let's do a catch-up. And the first person we're going to do a catch-up with is guess who? I know who. I'm looking at her. <laughs> She's right here. <laughs> it's Claudia Apollinar. Claudia. <laughs> I, I got to tell you, I, I, and Morgan's probably going to tell you if I don't, so that's why I'm going to go ahead and say it. I'm like a little fangirl here with Claudia, man. This is, I just told her it's like, it's like talking to one of my own daughters here that has just lived an experience that most people, thank God, will never have to go through. And I'm just so proud of you. Still, your attitude, the way you've handled this whole thing, you don't let anybody get you down. So... I'm tickled shitless to be here. Well, <laughs> that's a little too far there, Murph. Okay. <laughs> All right. But um, no, the one thing we want to talk about, too, is it was great this morning because one of the people we had on our podcast before Claudia was Alex Collins. Mm -hmm. And we talked about him getting shot and severely injured and his partner getting killed because of that piece of shit out of Los Angeles. Ex-cop, we won't even use his name. But they created the Alex Collins, basically, award. Yeah, Bravery Award. The Bravery Award. And guess who got the Bravery Award this morning at the conference? <laughs> yeah, Miss Claudia. <laughs> you know, I told her, too, Morgan, we knew about it. We just couldn't tell her. Yeah. We've known about it since we did the interview with you. Oh, really? Yeah. When, yeah. when did you find out? Uh, I don't remember. I mean, it was a, right before I came over here, but I did spoke, uh, I spoke with Mal and he told me about it. Um, and he's like, oh, maybe like uh, Alex Collins might be presenting it to you. So I'm like, oh, awesome. Like, because I mean, I remember hearing what happened that day. Mm -hmm. And I mean, just especially yesterday, I had seen his interviews, um, the podcast with you guys. And yesterday, actually hearing his presentation in person. And when I was hearing him talk, I immediately thought, I'm like, 
those are the same things that are going through my head that went through my head during that time. So it was just a lot, like, it clicked. I'm like, that's what I felt. And, I mean, to me, like, this is special because it's, I mean, like, I've gotten other awards, but it this one was different coming from being Alex's Collins Award. So it, it's different. It's different. And, like I said, like, what he went through, what he's going through, and it's, like, the same things that I'm going through. Yeah, maybe our injuries are a little bit different, but... Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, well, it's pretty much the same. It's not over. a contest. You know that, Claudia. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, my, inj- my injury is bigger than yours. Look over here. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, no and I'm, I'm glad my injuries, I mean, being a female, it's like I did not want to have a huge scar on my face or like, I mean, my, I have little dimples now. I have, I have dimples exactly. that God gave and they're me. they're cute. They're cute. You, you just so, took the words out of my mouth. I said, I'm, I have I'm, dimples. I'm thinking this is as close as I've been to you and they look like dimples. They look like dimples. So it's like, I'm like, the way I see it, it's like, God gave me some dimples. There you go. That's a tough way to give them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, what is so amazing is after we did your episode, we had one thing Steve and I have tried to do. Look, we're a couple of old white dudes, but Mm -hmm. people think, oh, you're just, you know, typical. No, we have interviewed people from all across the spectrum in law enforcement and the good side and the bad side. And one thing I think I'm pretty proud of that we've done is we've highlighted a lot of stories of women, strong Mm -hmm. women in leadership. You know, Pam Barnes, uh, Sherry Oz. uh, Sherry Foster. Sherry Foster, um, um, who was your friend? We poofed her hair. Oh, <laughs> Michelle, Michelle Linhart. Michelle Linhart, the DEA administrator. I mean, we have had some vantage, you know, uh, Cheryl uh, O'Connell down in uh, Richmond. Yep. She was shot through the face, too. Ambushed by a guy, shot through the face. Uh, very similar. And, you know, the one thing we've tried to do is just show that guys it's just not all about guys. It's not all white guys. This profession has changed a lot, and you represent what is really good about this profession because if people go to the webpage and watch the video of the shooting that they Mm -hmm. put out, it's amazing what you did. Even in spite of all of that, you kept scanning, you kept looking. By the way, when that shooting happened, how long had you been out of the academy? Uh, 14 months since I graduated. You're still a freaking rookie. Wow. and I'm still in rookie mode, so it's like when I see someone I'm like, hey sir, yes sir, no sir. That's it's. She doesn't do that to us because she's such a big star here. She goes, hey, get out of the way, and would you yeah. get me water? Hey, you, you know? old guys, move, yeah, move, move, you old guys, hobble your butts out of the way. Yeah. But, but so we were talking yesterday too because it was great. I saw you in the lobby, and it's like there she is, there's Claudia, and we hung out at the three hour. Oh my god, training. <laughs> I had to go pee. It's like, I could only two hours of this. It's like, dude, you got to take a break. He did. It was good stuff. But I mean, it was like, but I had to pee. That's how I didn't finish my water. I'm like, nope. <laughs> Not going to do it. But, um, but so tell us now on your journey now on recovery, we talked a little bit about that. So since we did your episode, how are things for you? Where do you stand now physically in terms of your rehab and how are things going? So from the last time that we had the, the, the first interview, I had a little setback where my the therapy when i was going to physical therapy my wrist was getting aggravated it would aggravate it and i had a lot of pain where i couldn't do anything after i did my physical therapy mm-hmm. so my doctor had kind of stopped it for a bit to see if it was a physical therapy that was making it worse the pain um so i stopped that for a couple of months and just recently i started doing therapy again for my for my for my hands but this time it's not just my hand. It's like the whole working the, the entire arms, the 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 forearm, the bicep, the tricep, the shoulders, everything. So I just started with therapy again, and like I said, it's like hope, up until now, 
Everything has been going great. I feel like I'm getting stronger, but I'm not where I want to be mm-hmm. enough for me to go back to work. Mm-hmm. Um, because like I said, it's like right now I could barely pick up a case of waters and I can't hold it for that long. So I want to make sure I'm good enough for me to go back to work at least light duty. And in, that's in case anything happens in the station, because it's like most likely they're going to have me working the desk, mm-hmm. um, answering phone calls or something like that once I go back. And things still happen at the station. So we've seen it plenty of times. We saw it happen in Detroit. I was at ICP one year. They gave an award to a guy. That was when the guy walked into the uh, Detroit police station and started shooting everybody. Mm-hmm. Up. I mean, the, the, just it, absolute it targets. Yeah. It happens. And there was here not too long ago in well, in L.A. Um, with LAPD. That there was a shooting, a guy went into the station, and he took the officer's gun and started shooting at him, and it, it, it all went down in the station. Jeez. So I don't want to be a liability for me not to be able to, if something happens, to go out there and try to save whoever's out there. So I want to make sure that I'm close enough to 100% where I'm able to help out and not be another casualty in case something happens. Right. So right now, that's what I'm doing for my arms, still doing the physical therapy. Um, for my mouth, it's just pretty much just a waiting game. I have the Invisalign. I don't have them on right now because I talk kind of funny when I have them on. <laughs> so I have that on, and then a, hopefully a few more months of that, and then if everything goes well, I won't need another surgery for my jaw. Nice. Well, we still have to do that beer because I told you, I said, you know, just want to say, Claudia, you got a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So that's the thing. It's, I mean, which I'm fine with. It's uh, this, my lower lip and my chin are completely numb. Mm-hmm. So whenever I eat or I drink and I have something here, I don't feel it. So I'm constantly going like like cleaning myself, but it's, I mean, that's my least you of know, my, my worries. I mean, my cat does the same thing too, constantly cleaning herself. So you look like a cat, like you know. Yeah. Well, that we were talking. We were talking to Alex Collins this morning, yeah. and, and Alex's wife was with him, and and he was praising her because she's known for wiping his chin off because he has dribble coming down for the same reason, but yeah. understandably so. Yeah. Yeah. So. You know, it's, it's fantastic that you can sit here and laugh about it, because so many people would let a traumatic event like this get them down. And they lose their either their will to live or their will to yeah. stand up for themselves. Uh, and I know I keep saying the same damn thing about you, but uh, honestly, just I couldn't be more proud of you if you were my own daughter. I mean, I just love the way you're handling this whole situation. Thank you very much. I mean, the way I see it, it's like you have to. You right. can't let something. I mean, I know we're not everyone's the same, but at least the way I see it, I have a little kid, I have a family, mm-hmm. and I wouldn't want them to see me sad, depressed, um, crying about it. Obviously, there's times where it does hit me, but it's not mm-hmm. where I let it take over my life. And it's not going to take over my life because I know what I was before and what I am after. And it just gave me a second opportunity at life. And I'm not going to let that go to waste and just take advantage the most that I can. What a motivational story. You might have given this speech a couple times. Yeah, you know, we were talking about that. This is this is you presented yesterday here uh, at the gang conference, and you said that's only the second time you've done an outside presentation, right? All of yes. it has been internally to the sheriff's department. Yes. So, what was it like for you to get up there and now present to basically all of your peers, other people, and a lot of these folks have never they've never been in a shooting, uh, mm-hmm. you know, or never been shot. Some of them have been involved in officer involves uh, OISs, but what was it like? for you to get up there and tell your story in front of a room, I mean, a packed room full of cops. I get nervous every single time that I go up there, especially 
I mean, a lot of them have been on for years, and I'm up there with only seven months of patrol experience, so I, I'm still in that training mode. I don't have the experience that most of these guys and women have out there, and it's like, I, I, I get really nervous. I can't explain it. It's different when it's a recruit class that when it's a, a class full of people that have been on for a while. Mm -hmm. You know what they call it? Some people call it, it's, it's like the, it's like imposter syndrome. It's like, I shouldn't be up here. You know, I'm not, and it's like, but here's the thing you have to remember. And if you go back and look at the video, very shortly after the shooting happened, your partner um, is, he's obviously stunned because he's been shot in the head. I mean, it's bounced, he's got a bad, you know, it's hit his head. He's badly wounded. And you're able to get him, bring him over to cover and like I said, you may have only had just a few months on, but I mean, you got the tourniquet out, you got it up on it. You remember the training about getting it high up on his arm, getting it stopped. And then it wasn't too long after that. And it's, I, I tell you, it's just, I was frustrated listening to the radio trafficking game because I know what you're saying. And I'm going, come on, dispatcher. Mm -hmm. You know, she's been shot. Come on, do so. this is not regular radio traffic. Get somebody rolling. Well, mm -hmm. fortunately, it only took probably like, what, 20 seconds, I think. Yeah, but was, 20 seconds is a lifetime. It is. Yeah. It is. And I mean, I've been going the times that I've talked to the first aid uh, training that we have with our department and just learning how fast a person can bleed depending on where their injury is. It's like you need to get that tourniquet on as fast as you can, as tight as possible. And like I said, something that you don't know, like you don't know where the person has been hit. And hope, I mean, the good thing that that day the training kicked in, and like I said, it's like I remember it's like. I don't know where he's been hit, but go up as high as I could and put it as tight as possible. Yeah, but you'd also been you'd also been injured in your arm too, so that was difficult because now you don't have full strength in both arms and both hands to apply that tourniquet. So how'd you do it, Superwoman? I have no idea. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how I did it. Like I said, it's like I felt I didn't have the strength that I had before, but I wasn't in pain. Uh, the adrenaline just kicked in right away, so mm -hmm. I had I felt like a warm sensation in my in, in my mouth and my hands. But it wasn't something where I was like, it, the pain was really bad where I couldn't do anything. So right. I put that aside. I'm like, I have to do what I'm trained to do and try to save him from bleeding out. And like I said, it's like, I'm like, put it on there. I'm like, hopefully it's tight enough by the time we get to the hospital and then let the, the doctors right. handle it. Right. But let me tell you, from the time the call went out till the time your other deputies got there, I mean, they must have been driving supersonic speed because they hauled ass because you see a bunch of them pull up. And I think they do they do the smartest thing, which is they didn't wait for an ambulance. They mm -hmm. just piled you in the car and you're headed out because you're both ambulatory. I mean, you can move, so that's good. It's like we're not waiting for an ambulance. Mm -hmm. One, the sh you don't know where the shooter is. Mm -hmm. And number two, got to get help right away. So, I mean, kudos to those guys, too, that for— Oh, yes. No, they were there. My um, Actually, one of my very good friends who was training at Compton Station at the time, she was on training, and she's the one that handled the, the, the incident. So well, afterwards, when I spoke to her and everything, like, um, their sta the station is— less than a mile away from where it happened. Mm -hmm. And when it, they heard the call come out, they, everyone, she's like, we're getting the cars ready. We just got in the cars. We took off. And then when she saw that it was me, she, she's like, oh, shit. Like, mm -hmm. like damn, it's, it's, it's her. Like, upon that, we, we were in the academy together. So, I mean, she did a great job. Like like I said, like, she took care of the, the scene and everything until homicide got there and everything. So, but it was just something where they responded right away. They got us in the car. They had another station that was just north of where we were at, Century Station. 
by the time we got in the car, they already had all the intersections blocked off. So the ride from where it happened to the hospital seemed like, I don't know, like 30 seconds. We were there in 30 seconds. It seemed like a NASCAR lap. Whoosh. I'll bet. Yes. Yes. I'll bet. So uh, I see one scar here on your right arm. I have one where it came out over here. Well, it uh-huh. came out over here, and then right there. One here, and then probably it came out over here. So we're looking at our forearms, everybody. Wondering what we're looking at here, and that you had two broken arms then, right? I had uh, both of the bones in my arms were broken. And put a tourniquet on your partner. Yes. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this isn't okay. something easy. This isn't you just do this. How do you do that with two broken arms? And I watched the video again this morning when you were getting the award. Yeah, I get pissed off every time I watch it. I, I watched that son of a bitch just walk up in cold blood and just fire shots into the car, and then like the brave little piece of shit he is, he goes running off. Yeah, like a little frightened yeah. rabbit. Well, which brings me to my next question because we asked you about this yesterday too. So. Um, this happened quite a while ago, and it takes forever for a case to get through the court. So mm-hmm. let's talk about the status of the case, because something just happened uh, last week. So what is it? The 24th, I believe, they just had the preliminary hearing. And how long ago was your shooting? It was about a year and a half, back in September 2020. <laughs> so, so what is it they don't get about preliminary <laughs> I don't know. It, it took a while. It took a while. For and you know the sad part is, is you know what's going to happen? I, I don't know what they're going to do because we talked about this about one of the guys talked today about the L.A. district attorney and the way that they're dropping gun enhancement charges and mm-hmm. stuff. They're just making it easy. Part of my fear is this guy gets some kind. He's got other charges, too. You need to tell about that. But that they'll drop some of the gun enhancements or whatever. This guy's getting credit for time served as he's sitting in jail right now. That is a travesty. Mm. Yes. Mm. Yeah. I mean, other than that, it's like I pretty much don't know what's going to happen. Hopefully, as of now, they haven't dropped any of the enhancements, which hopefully they don't. Did you have to testify? Not yet. So only once the case actually goes to trial. So what they do at the preliminary? Were you even, were you I even notified? I, I was notified, but I wasn't there. Why didn't they? Uh, so that's interesting because you would think you're the victim. You're Officer Manny, right? Mm-hmm. Perez Perez. Yes. Why did he have two last names? We need to ask him that. <laughs> I, think, I think his dad is Perez and his mom is Perez, so they just put Perez. Perez, Perez. Perez. okay. Because usually, I mean, like, like in Mexico, it's like I know it's paternal then the, maternal. Yes, yeah. Yes, I, I only have one, so it's like I don't have to deal with both. <laughs> it's easier to remember that way. Yeah. But but see, but that's amazing too. I'll, I'll tell you real quick too a quick story. One of our officers was the victim of an aggravated assault one time, and. You know, the standard procedures when you go to court, they sequester witnesses. They don't have you in there. Well, they moved to sequester, and this was planned out before, as I found out later. They kept him there at the chair, and the defense attorney says, no, Your Honor, we sequestered them. And the county attorney got up and did a real good job. Just because he has a uniform on does not mean that he is not the victim of the crime. He's the victim of this crime. A victim has the absolute right to be in this court. Good for him. And, boy, he set set him up good, too, because this defense attorney was one of those public defender assholes. Mm -hmm. There's some good ones, and there's some, you know, assholes. So— but I'm just surprised you did not have to testify. I mean, what do you have any idea what kind of evidence they presented or what they did for the preliminary? Um, I, well, from what I know, it's like the preliminary hearing is if the victim won't like it's like they're kind of iffy if they won't show up to the case. Like once the actual case starts, mm-hmm. if they won't be there to testify. But with us, it's like I know you guys are going to be there to testify. So they don't want to put us on the stand twice. Okay. So I think that's pretty much why, because it's like, I know you guys are going to be here. 
once a case actually starts. So well, and that makes sense too yeah. because you don't want uh, potential conflicting statements later. The mm -hmm. more times you're on the stand, the more the opportunity is for the defense to to say, well, that's not the way you said it last mm -hmm. time. When you mean the same thing, we know it's smoke and mirrors when it comes to those guys. Yes. Well, but he this guy's also got a couple other charges, and I know we talked about it in the episode. But what are the other charges um, that he's also got against him right now? I'm not exactly sure, but I know they it's uh, he it's other attempt murders um, against a private investigator, mm -hmm. and then a carjacking that he he did a carjacking. So he's an outstanding member of society that's oh, been unjustly unjustly incarcerated for crimes he's obviously not guilty of. He's a real freaking peach. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well. Yes. I told you. We know, guys. I, we're going to hold a Dominic Polo from this guy ever makes it out of jail. You call us. Yeah. We'll take care of stuff. So um, now, do you have any idea now when the trial is going to be? From what I was told, probably about a year, depending on how, because COVID, everything with COVID, mm -hmm. it slowed things down in the court. So it might take about another year for the actual trial yeah. to start. Yeah. So. Well, you know, and you and I had this conversation this morning. Uh, you're still moving towards your goal, which you told us there at the end of the podcast last time. Is she to, wants to be a state trooper. That's what she told me. She wants to be oh, a trooper. Oh, gosh, Claudia, you have... don't have troopers in California. There you go. You tell. All right. That's hey. right. <laughs> okay. Podcast over. <laughs> but she's still uh, moving towards her goal of becoming a homicide investigator. So that's, you know, I mean... I know you got to go continue to pay your dues before yes. you finally get to that level because those are some elite, oh, yes. elite investigators. But that's the good thing. You got your focus on. I mean, you know what you want and you're working towards that goal. Yes. Let's talk about working towards that. So what's your projected timeline? We talked a little bit about your timeline. So what do things look like uh, for your eventual return to duty? Uh, well, right now it's like things with the workers comp, it's starting to slow down. So I've went like about a month without doing therapy and then I start again so it kind of pushes me back every time when I'm not doing it continuously like every week so like I said right now I haven't had that many issues with my hands which is great so hopefully I mean we're in what June hopefully by <laughs> August September I should be able to at least go back light duty mm -hmm. and then like I said like once I'm able like a hundred percent like mentally, physically, then go back out onto the streets and continue patrolling because I only have seven months of experience and I need a lot more to get to homicide. So, uh, one question I want to ask you about is your baby. So, how old is your child? He's eight now. Does he understand what mommy went through? So, okay, we never told him, and I think mm -hmm. I mentioned it last yep. time. We just told him it was a training accident. I fell down, I broke my hands, my jaw. Um, but not too long ago, I went to, they had career day at school. Oh. So I went in uniform, went to go talk to his class, second grade class, and a little girl raises her hands to ask a question. She's like, oh, I heard you got shot in the arms. So I'm like, oh, shoot. Like, <laughs> how do I explain this to, to seven, eight-year-old kids? Well, how did she know about it, though? Her mom. Her mom oh. on TV. They saw me on TV. Yeah. Oh. So, yeah, that's how she, they, like, the school knew. The school knew what had happened and everything, but my son didn't. Mm -hmm. So they knew, and it was like, how do I explain this to little kids? And mm -hmm. I don't want them to be, like, if they have in their head, like, oh, I want to be a cop when I grow up, I don't want them to be scared. Right. Like, I don't want them to be scared. So I'm like, I just pretty much, I'm like, yeah, I did. It was a bad guy, but I'm fine now, and I'm I love doing what I do, so I had to like to 
spin it. Make it a little bit better for, yeah. for, for the kids. So. But did that lead to questions at home? Oh, he didn't. He didn't ask me. And, huh. I mean, I don't know how to bring it up. I mean, I'm pretty sure after that, like, he's like, oh, like, what happened? Like, so, because well, he, he asked me, like, there was a couple of times when he's heard conversations and he asked me, what is an ambush? So I'm like, oh, that's when someone mm -hmm. surprises you and they attack you, like they try to hurt you. So, mm -hmm. but once he's a little bit older, then just give him the whole story of what had happened. Well, you know, I mean, because kids are so resilient, you know, in his own time, he's working it out in his mind, obviously, right now. And he'll come to you and you'll have the golden opportunity to, to share the heroic story of his mother. I mean... It was funny because you came walking up to the table a while ago and Morgan started calling you Superwoman. I love it. That's a great name to have. Well, only after she changed out of the San Francisco Giants shirt she was wearing. <laughs> Come on. No self-respecting baseball fan wears a Giants well, shirt. And she's got a DEA Narcos shirt and she puts on a California Game Conference I know. Shirt. Can you believe that? <laughs> Such disrespect. Story of my life. So um, uh, you, you mentioned a couple of things, right? So there's the physical part. But there's the emotional part and the mental part. So where are you at on the mental part? Do they Are you getting counseling? Do they continue that? What's your journey there? Counseling, I was going with my psychologist when it happened like every week for about two, three months that I was talking to her almost every week. Right now, I mean, the the psychological part, like it's it's gotten a lot better. It's not bad. I mean, I'm still able to sleep. I don't have nightmares. I don't really, it doesn't really like, it's, it, it's fine. Like I'm able to live a normal life. Um, obviously I do think about it every single day. There's not a day that doesn't go by where I don't think about it, but it's just learning to live with it and accept it and just move on from there. Cause it's not something that I'm going to let it consume me and make me all depressed. So it's yeah. like, it's just something that's, it happened. Oh, well, fucking shit, shit happens. Yeah, yep. Let's move on. Well, shit happens. I got shot three times, you know, four times. Shit happens. But, huh. No, shit happens when you drop your favorite bottle of Belgian beer and it breaks. That shit yeah. happens. That's why, that's why this girl sits on a pedestal with me. Yeah. Hey, but uh, let me ask you about that, though, too, because um, uh, I know you don't like to read a lot of books, but I did send you one, and you said you read it. Yeah. Emotional Survival for Law Enforcement. What did you think about that book when you finished it? It was, as I was reading it, a lot of the stuff that it said, it's like, I could identify with it. And like I said, it's like you go through so many roller coasters throughout your career. I haven't been on that long. And just for me to go on this roller coaster. Immediately. Immediately. <laughs> and I mean, like, I don't know what's going to happen later on in my career, how it's going to be. But it's just something that it's not just me. It's not just something that I'm going through, but a lot of other officers and deputies go through. And... I mean, the way I see it, it's like life, like you need to live your life. Like one thing is your job. One thing is your family. And I'm able, like now I appreciate, like before I was like working all the overtime and you know, like my family, like I would spend more time at work than with my family. But since this happened, it's just appreciating your family a lot more. Mm -hmm. And you know what? My family comes first before my job. And like I said, it's like what happens at work, not let it affect you as much as other people. It affects them. So after, like I said, after reading the book, it's like, 
How do I explain it? It, it, it just reinforces it, your, your priorities, I guess. It does. It does. And it's like I identify with a lot of the stuff that the book, what's in the book. Mm -hmm. And, and it's a great be book. Careful too. And some of the things in that book, it's called Emotional Survival for Law Enforcement by Kenneth Gilmartin. But you've got to be careful of isolate. The one mistake a lot of folks make when they have trauma and stuff like they isolate themselves. They mm -hmm. cut themselves off from people. They retreat into a cave. They don't want to make decisions. I mean, how many times... Have you come home after a long shift and somebody, you know, your husband or the kid says, hey, what are we having for dinner? You go, I don't care. Just pick. I, I don't want to make a decision. I've been doing this all day long. Just mm -hmm. And your circle of friends gets smaller and smaller. That's why I wanted to send it to you. I forgot to bring some copies out here because I was going to give a couple away. But um, no, I'm just so glad about that. Now, how often do you, are you, is there any mandated counseling that you're still required to go to now? Not really. Um, I know I had done the last time that I spoke with my psychologist, we did the debrief. So usually when we have uh, a, an incident, like you have to go to a psychologist, debrief the incident before you get cleared to go back to work. So the last time I spoke to her, she cleared me. Um, but she told me, like, I know it's like it's probably going to be a couple months from now. So before you go back, you can reach out to me and then we'll talk about it. That's up to you. She's like, it's up to you. But like, I'm going to write this down that we did the debriefing and then it's just pretty much whenever you want to talk to me, um, just let me know and I'll be here for you. Nice. But now more importantly, did you read the copy of Manhunters we sent you? I did. Hey, there you go. Now, I did. That's why she's ready to go back to work. <laughs> I'm ready. Where's Pablo? Oh, sorry. Pablo's dead. Pablo. Yeah. Oh, no. And then after I saw, like, because I had seen the series, like, I mean, when it came out. But it's like after, like, it had been a while. And it's like, okay, well, after I spoke with you guys, I'm like, I need to see it all over again. <laughs> So I saw it all over again. I'm like, I want to be like him when I grow up. Oh, Lord. You <laughs> really lowered your, your sights. <laughs> I, I don't want your head to get too big, Steve, but we've been, so we've been, we've been, uh, so we've been catching up with folks here like Claudia, but we've also been setting up some more episodes. So we're in talking to that guy from, uh, that does the gang intel, the other Steve. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He, he didn't realize until I told him, he was like sitting there and I'm going, yeah, no, those, that's Steve and Javier. Those are the guys that, you know, help bring down Pablo that they did Narcos after. He took a deep breath. He goes, that's them? <laughs> <laughs> well, because he sees two broken down old men sitting over there. A couple like, of old farts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a couple of old farts. It's like, ah, oh, no, that's him. So, but that's us when we see you. It's Claudia. That's yeah. her. Oh, and I'll tell you, guys, we've been sitting out in the hallway. So many people are coming up. They're proud of you. You know, you got, I'll tell you, the biggest badge of honor you can have is the respect of all the other peers. Absolutely. You know, at, well, you can give all the awards you want, but if you've got the respect, any, they can give anybody an award. Uh, they gave a couple assholes award that never should have got it in Alex Collins' case. Absolutely. Yeah. But you, not only do you deserve that, but just when I see the, the admiration come up, and these are, these are big guys, tall guys, big girls, small girls. You know, we've got Asians here, we've got blacks, we've got Hispanics, we've got whites, we even got some Canadians, eh? Mm -hmm. <laughs> hey, yep. Got a few Canadians. And everybody, to a person, comes up, because I, I, I watch their eyes, and they are so genuine in their sincerity and their appreciation for what you went through, and so are we. I mean, it's like, if it weren't for people like you, people like us couldn't live free. Yep. Hey, oh, and one other thing, she's getting like, uh, like Victor Ovilin holding back on us. So well, you oh, made yeah. a trip to the White House recently, didn't you? <laughs> I did. Yes. Now, wait a minute. The big question, did Joe Biden sniff your hair? <laughs> <laughs> and don't lie, because I already got the answer. I'm setting you up. So be truthful. He might have, but I got, I got a chocolate chip cookie from the White House. Hey, there oh, well. you go. Uh, that was worth the trip. <laughs> that is 
a trick all these guys pull. Hey, I have a little chocolate chip for you, kid. Uh, uh, but, uh, so, so McDonald's would have been better, but... Oh, there you go. So, what you say? The McDonald's? McDonald's. Would, I thought you said the massage would have been better. I did <laughs> miss that there for just a second. Yeah, but it was the, it was the extended handshake and the very long hug. Yes. She's nodding her head. Yeah. <laughs> so what was your reason for being at the White House? Tell us about that. So... That day when, it was on a Monday, that's when he had a conference regarding ghost guns. So we were invited since the suspect used a ghost gun on us. Mm -hmm. And he was announcing some major change in, I mean, for, it was for the ghost guns. So Some potential legislation. Yes, for the ghost guns just to make, uh, just reg like more, have more control. Mm -hmm. Instead of just ordering it online and then that's yeah. pretty much it. So having like any other gun from a manufacturer with the serial number mm -hmm. and going through the process. Yep. But yeah. did, did, did you receive, receive some type of recognition? No. Oh, just I a thought... chocolate chip cookie. You're kidding. Well, Steve, it's a chocolate chip cookie from the White House. Well, I, actually, I've gotten a, books, a box of cookies from the White House and they are the best. They're, they're Baker. Have they you ever seen him? You know, I, I have not, but I've heard so many stories about the legendary meals, and especially when they're like in the off hours. My neighbor up the street is on the VP, protective detail mm -hmm. for Secret Service. We've had just a couple things, but I said, is it true? There's some good chow there. He goes... It's the best. He says, I can't, I can't discuss that. But he's, he's going, he's not his head up and down. It's like, yes, it is. Well, the baker at the White House, we went, and I was still with DEA at that time. We went for one of the evening tours, and he took us in the kitchen because he's the White House baker. This man has arms as big around as my waist. He's a massive man. I mean, just, <laughs> he made Arnold Schwarzenegger look small. And he's, he's baking all these wonderful treats, man. It was great. It was fantastic. Well, I was reminding Claudia, she may not have listened to the episode, but if you hadn't, shame on you. You need to listen to the episode with Mike Neal, the game and fish uh, warden from Arkansas. He mm -hmm. was involved in the shootout with the two sovereign citizens that killed mm -hmm. the two West Memphis officers. He got his award. We actually found the real video of him nut-checking the vice president, <laughs> which was by at the time. <laughs> No video exists of the hug, does it, or the handshake. But you got to. I went to the White House and all I got was a chocolate chip cookie. Oh. That's I, wasn't the new I wasn't allowed to go in there with my phone. I had to take off my iWatch, too. Yeah. They, they take this stuff seriously. Mm -hmm. You have to do a background check before you go up Everything. there. And so, But what was it like? Where was the actual uh, meeting with the president held at? Well, the, the conference was in the Rose Garden. Mm -hmm. And then after that, they took us into another office and then they took one person at a time into the Oval Office. So oh, cool. we took a picture in the Oval Office with our mask on and everything. So that was pretty well, cool. Well, if you have your mask yeah. on, how do we know it's you then? I know. <laughs> uh, you won't see anybody else with those cute little dimples she has now. I got the dimples. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, hey, well, this is cool. We just we're trying to limit these to just like thirty minutes. You know, just catch up. So we're going to do a variety of these to the others. But look, it's good to see you here. We you still got a couple more days of us. So yes. oh my god, I don't know <laughs> how we're going to survive it. You're going to be so, you're going to be so sick of him. <laughs> Everybody is. We were on stage this morning, and I said, look, I'm sorry if I've offended anybody. Just hit me up. We'll do an episode about it. So there you we're, go. We're there looking you go. for episodes. All right. Well, look. Hey, this is great to catch up with you. We're going to let you get back to the training and the conference because you got to be in the class to get the credit for the training. So, yeah. But we'll cover for you. We'll, okay. We'll, we'll, thank you so much again, yeah. Claudia. Thank you. True, true, true freaking honor having you here. Thanks. Oh, thank you. The honor is all mine. Thank you very much. Lovely. <laughs>
Yeah, here we go, Eric's going, what are we going to talk about? Well, you're here already, does it matter what we're going to talk about? <laughs> here now. It's well, like having a captive audience, you're yeah. not getting out of here. <laughs> so, hey, so we're back out here at the San Diego Game Conference, and guess who we have with us? Who is this guy? Aaron, what is it, Graham Cracker? There you go. Aaron Graham Cracker. That's Mr. San Diego. He's one of the original police officers that started the San Diego Police Department <laughs> many, many years ago. Back in Ot 5. <laughs> yeah. And he's probably wondering why he agreed to come here and talk to us again. <laughs> Guess, this shows you lack common sense and good judgment, mm -hmm. which we will reflect to your employer. The more things change, the more they, they stay the same. same. Thanks, guys. <laughs> well, hey, no, what we're doing is we're out here. We've got a lot of folks out here, too. So we talked to Claudia yesterday. We're talking to Aaron today. We've got Lou Velozzi out here. We've got Alex Collins out here. We've got Victor Avila out here. Several people have been on the podcast. So the whole purpose is this. Hey, let's just do a catch-up, see what's mm -hmm. going on. And as we got to talking, like Victor did with us, he sandbagged us about something. You sandbagged us, too. You want to know what it was about? Yes. $500,000. Yeah. <laughs> now that you've admitted it, sir, let's have the admission now. Yeah. Let's talk about that story real quick. Dude, Steve, what was your bounty? 300000 300000 So I guess it's inflation, you know? <laughs> well, as we've learned, and we just learned, I mean, I just learned this this morning also from, from Aaron. Uh, I guess this was at the same time we were in Colombia and you were in Mexico, right? Yep. So explain about the five hundred thousand well, dollars. I want to know about. why you're worth more than Murph too. Well, I hold Murphy and Javier responsible for my little issue. You know, when we started, <laughs> Wait a minute, little issue. A five hundred thousand dollar bounty is not a little issue. No, here's the difference. It was three hundred for me and three hundred for Javier. So that's six hundred. His yeah, was only five hundred. Yeah, but five hundred for him. <laughs> anyway, that's, that's my story. I'm that's the math. <laughs> so I say Steve and Javier responsible because when we were in Mexico and we were exchanged information back and forth and when uh, after Pres uh, Vice President Bush's task force in the Caribbean kind of sh started shifting the traffic from Colombia through Mexico instead of through the Caribbean, mm -hmm. we started working very closely with Stephen Javi and communicating on leads and, and uh, trends and what have you. And so based on that, we started doing some more proactive investigations and in a short 14-month period of time, we seen 50 tons of cocaine. and. <laughs> Think about that. People on both ends. Fifty tons of cocaine. Fifty tons oh. of cocaine. So what's so fifty tons of cocaine would have translated into how much? Wait a minute. <laughs> I can't count. That. I took my shoes off. I can't count that high. Sorry. Yeah, I can't either. But the other thing is, you got to break it down to the kilo, and then if they were stepping on right. the street in Chicago, so it's clearly hundreds of millions of dollars. You know, yeah. here's here's a rule of thumb that we used to use, and and this is why you see such high prices when there's drug seizures. You know, ranking police officials and prosecutors want to um, make it sound the most expensive they can. So the, the going price of cocaine was $100 a gram on the street, and that may have been stepped on several times. So you just, even at $100 a gram, and there's 1,000 grams in a kilo, which, see, we're educational here. And then multiply that by 50 tons. I mean, it's just astronomical. That's yeah. what's, yeah, it's 100,000 pounds, right? So, and, and honestly, during that era, we would be chasing airplanes. Uh, Howard, the Air Force out of Howard Air Force Base, would do a handoff to our P-2s. We'd be chasing three or four or five airplanes to the ground in Mexico where we would raid them. So uh, before we get too far, so because we're talking about like P-2s and P-3s, yeah. like the Orion, was that a P-2? Was it an Orion? We were, the Air Force in, that was had permission to fly in Mexico was a P-2. 
And um, then they were vectoring us in. We were in turbo commanders with the Mexican Federal Police. And they would vector us onto the bad guys and then down to the target when they landed. And the P-2s were basically the equivalent military version of a surveillance aircraft. They yes. could track things in the sky. and the, Like the AWACS. Yeah. Yeah, without the disc. So, um, yeah, so we were really being effective, uh, really thanks to the intelligence coming out of Colombia from Stephen Javier. So fast forward, I'm leaving the consulate one day, and like we were always taught to do when we deployed high-risk uh, assignments, you know, I would make a couple different turns uh, to see if anybody was following. Basically the equivalent of a surveillance detection. Yeah, route. right, counter-surveillance. And so one day, I was uh, 33, 34 months in country, and I saw this guy, same turn four times, which didn't make sense because I wasn't going anywhere. I was simply just cleaning my tail to see if anybody was following me, <laughs> and there he was. So I stopped at a light, got out, see what he was doing, look at his license plate, and he was taking pictures of me. So that was a clue, right? That's probably a Now, wait a minute. Problem. You stopped, you got out of your car, and you walked back to his. He's a okay. tough guy. He's a tough guy. He's not well, afraid. <laughs> you gotta I'm sorry. This is Mexico. It's dangerous. And so you get out of the car, a place where you could have, he who fights and runs away shall live to fight another day. <laughs> I like that. I've heard that before. Well, I want to know what was going on before I called the country attache and the regional security officer but when i saw him taking pictures right i'm a trained observer i said that's not good and uh, so i went back to the consulate and i called my boss called mexico city uh, they sent some mexican federal police officers up to have a enhanced conversation with this subject <laughs> and did you pick up on that term? No, no just a minute because we're talking about that okay let's explain what enhanced conversation because that's is that a very vigorous conversation where you're using big words uh, I'd say more, it's more of an intense conversation where you're really trying to get to the truth. And you think, like, instead of big words, big sticks? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. A better explanation. Gotcha. You said it. Um, and so just a few days later, I was advised that the Quintero Payan family, which were the cousins of the Caro Quinteros, Rafael's family, had uh, issued a $500,000 contract to figure out where I was so they could pick me up. And real Ooh. quickly, tell everybody who Rafael Caro Quintero is. So, of course, Rafael Caro Quintero was one of the original founders of the Guadalajara Cartel with Miguel Fidesz Gallardo. And, and Caro Quintero really was the principal savage behind the kidnapping, torture, and murder of Agent Kiki Camarena in, in, in Guadalajara. And folks on the podcast can't see it, obviously, <sighs> but if you look at Aaron's lapel, tell them what's on your lapel there. Yeah, so I like to wear this pin. It's a DEA badge with a small red ribbon across the top that says, Remember Kiki. And uh, Stephen Javier and I wear those for congressional briefings, and we like to give them to people that we meet along the way who are really making an effort, and we say we're deputizing them in the ongoing uh, war against that issue. And, and the fact is, Cato Quintero walked out of prison a couple of years ago in Mexico before finishing his sentence, and he's now number one on the marshal's mm -hmm. uh, wanted list. By the way, the rewards for justice, guess how much he's worth on the U.S. State Department rewards for justice? No, how much? $20 million. Whoa! Well, Number one highest value target on the rewards for terrorist list a ahead of other terrorist organizations and other terrorists. Wow. Well, you know, for guys like Stephen, right, that makes sense. He should be the number one. Oh, well, and you know what? I'm, here, I'm thinking here of a project we can probably all do together. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 20 million three. split three ways is, is 15 for me and two and a half for each of you. So. so And three, obviously, white guys going into Mexico looking after They'll a drug They'll never board. see us. <laughs> They'll never expect it. No. <laughs> I told you before, man, I'm English-Irish heritage. 
heritage. I don't blend in a Hispanic country. No, <laughs> we'll, just be Austra- we'll just be Australians, mate. Good day. Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't think we could even pass for good, that. Good luck with that one, Mark. <laughs> oh, hey, look, it's my retirement plan, so let's continue on. <laughs> but anyway, but, but Rafael Carl Quintero, um, so that the part of the family, so you found that out, continue on from there. Yeah, so we found that out, so um, that can't be good, and, and uh, you know, we know how how uh, Kiki lost his life, and not only was it just horribly wrong on so many levels to kill a federal agent, but the three days of torture that he endured, mm-hmm. they clearly wanted to know everything we were doing, how we knew what we knew. And if you read uh, Desperados by Elaine Shannon, you learn way more than you ever want to know about what torture looks like and why they do it and how they do it and yeah. what the goal is. And so um, and I just didn't want to get dead at that time either, let alone be tortured. So I immediately went back and uh, it was time to have my wife and infant son leave the country immediately. And so we took care of that, and then we just planned my exit as well, and it was time to leave. How long did it take to get um, your wife and kid out? Same day. And okay. we, they had evacuated, uh, unfortunately, <clears throat> on a few previous occasions when stuff happened. And so they kind of had experience. Well, Jack was, I don't know, eight months old or ten mm-hmm. months old. So, But my wife was, uh, she knew how to pack and, and go. And a friend of mine from the agency, because it's kind of a long stretch between what, where we lived and the airport, it's like 45 minutes of just a death trap in the middle of nowhere. It'd be very easy to pick you up. Mm-hmm. So when I would uh, have her leave, I knew they were principally watching me. So I would have this friend of mine from the agency. Um, well, when you say them. agency, we're we talking DEA or the agency? The agency. Okay. And so uh, I would have him. He was just a great guy and a good friend. And he would take him out there, make sure they got on the aircraft safely. And um, so I got them out. And then I uh, was ordered to stay with another one of my partners down there, mm-hmm. uh, double up for security reasons until they got me out. And so, you know, it, it, I, I was two months short of my complete tour. But, you know, I, as we always say, well, I left on my feet. And uh, so, but it was another one of those, you know, those stories that we don't talk a lot about. Cause it's, and that's... That's exactly what I was going to say right after you finished there is, is these are the stories that nobody knows about. The danger that our family, you know, not just us as agents and, and government employees, but your families are in that same danger as well, just simply because they're married to us. And, you know, I mean, well, that's dangerous enough how, on your part anyway. Murph. Look how lucky they are to have us. Right. But, um, and, and, and the funny thing is, it's not funny, but um, the, the strange thing of this whole story is it wasn't the first time your wife and son had to evacuate Mexico. And I'm going to guess that most of our listeners are thinking, what the hell is wrong with you guys? If they had to evacuate you once, why would you go back? And it's, you know, I always say in tongue in cheek, they didn't hire me because I was real smart. <laughs> right, right. And, and I get goosebumps when you say that because Karen and I had an agreement that when you want to leave, you leave. And when you want to come back, you come back. And if you want to stay out for an extended period of time, I respect that. Yep. Right? And I don't want you to be here. And, you know, we had our own security in our in our apartment. It was a beautiful apartment overlooking the Guadalajara Country Club. But we had a fully automatic machine gun under the bed. And we had flashbang grenades on the bedside tables. And all that though it wasn't something Karen ever planned on knowing how to do or didn't really want to know. She also knew the consequences of, of inaction. Mm-hmm. It was going to go badly. And... Um, uh, to this day, she doesn't really talk about it, and that's okay. I don't blame her. Yeah. She doesn't want to talk about it. She survived it, and she's a you know, all-American wife, just like Connie, right, for doing it. Yeah. And uh, and I don't bring it up. It's probably why we didn't talk about this the first time, just because I kind of have conditioned myself not necessarily to talk about that because it's right. not a positive thing. But it is, to your point, Steve, it's something that 
listeners and people should just generally know how hard this is for, for Christ. So how did you find out about, though, the bounty? When did that uh, intelligence get to you? So it took three days uh, because the, the special unit from the Mexican Federal Police had come up from Mexico City to have this conversation. And, of course, they had to report back to their people who reported to our people in Mexico City at the embassy who then reported to us. Yeah. Bureaucracy at its finest. Man's life's on the line. Not We're worried swift. about bureaucracy. Right. Although what's interesting is I didn't know about the number until years later. Oh. I just heard that that was the, this is who's doing it, here's what it looks like, and you got to go. What kind of a briefing did they have? So when they came in and sat you down, how did that kind of conversation go? Interestingly, it was a very casual conversation uh, about here's what we learned. And initially, they actually said to me, we'd prefer you not leave the country as a result of this threat because it sends the wrong message that the yeah, traffickers that, can intimidate us ask, out of the country. <laughs> that's what I was about to ask is that how do you how do you balance that with the need to keep you safe to the say is if all we have to do is make a credible threat, we could get rid of the, the right. entire DEA office. Right. And that but you know, for me, I was a new dad. So you Your know, calculation's a little different. Everybody deals with these things differently and um, you know, I'd rather be a you know the old saying, rather be a, a living coward than a dead hero. Well, you're not a you're not a coward by any means. The other thing no. too is you had done your time. You, you were two months short. You 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 were down there for three years, right? right, right. Thirty six months, right. and you were how many months in already? Yeah, I was thirty two, a little over thirty two months in. So it's not like you were being run. It's not like you were there for two months and now you're gone. You you'd done your time. You paid your dues. Yeah. Well, well, let me ask too. So when they they said you know we'd like for you to stay, did you hesitate to say I'll stay? No. Exactly. No. So it's you know. You're being very humble here in your explanation, but that's the way it is. I mean, you you sign up to do this job, and you take the threats that come with it. And thankfully, we're married to the right kind of people that understand what those threats are, but they also understand what our professional uh, obligations are, and they understand the mission, and they think it's an honorable mission, and they support us 110%. Right. And what did you say yesterday about how we should look at our career? Yeah. it's uh, And our listeners have heard me say this before. Uh, your priorities, in my opinion, our priorities should be God, family, and the job. The sad thing is we was, do those in reverse. It's yeah. always the job first, and then God and the family are kind of second and third, and that, that alters back and forth. But the job for us is always first, and that's not right. But, you know, I think God uh, created certain people like us, the three of us, to do these kind of jobs and have that. Uh, we're, none of us are tough guys. We're just normal people. Right. That but it's also having the, the right kind of spouse who understands that, exactly. what they're getting involved in. Exactly. Because when you don't, that leads to divorce and everybody's life's miserable. And it just, you know, the good Lord blessed us all with these wives that we have that have hung in there through thick and thin. And for whatever reason, I guess they need some professional well, counseling. They're still there. Well, like I told a lot of folks, man, <laughs> I'm lucky. My, my wife, uh, she could have been out in 10, 12 years with good behavior. Yeah. You know? <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Well, we all say we married way above our grade. Oh, we all and, married. And up. I know you, Steve. 38 years, and I'm 36 yep. years, and Morgan? 35. Yeah, so, uh, but but I can say, and you guys both kind of touched on it, had I been single, I probably would have said, yeah, well, I'm gonna, let's do it, I'm staying. Yeah. We're going to fight it out. But as a new dad, you know, I'm like, yeah. I get goosebumps saying this, you know, my father had passed, we named our son after my father, and, and I don't know if we talked about this before, but, you know, I missed the actual birth of my son because Karen went into labor early. She was in the States. I caught a plane. I got there, and he was born, and she had already named him Jack for me. Wow. And wow. So that's, there's your wife thing, right? So wow. as I kind of tear up a little bit. That's all right. Because that's the, the reality. Mm -hmm. So had I been single, probably would have stayed. 
but it took me about two seconds to think about, okay, Jack, Karen, family, you know what, I did my thing, what I came to do, and and uh, I'm going. Yep. Yeah. That's it's, <laughs> it's hard to explain to people. I mean, unless you've experienced it, people think we're idiots. I mean, look at Javier's situation. He gets a call from the, the I think it was the ASAC at the time down in Bogota. Javier, where are you? Well, you called me in my apartment. Where do you think we have cell phones? <laughs> have you got your gun with it? Well, yeah, I'm a DEA agent in Colombia. I do have a gun. Duh. Get in your car and get to the embassy immediately. Watch out. The Sicarios from the Medellin cartel know where you live. Now, how comforting is that? And what, what does he do? They just put him in a different apartment. Well, oh, I thought you meant he just went downstairs, hit on one of the girls that was in the parking lot. Well, that might happen too, but that's what makes him out here. But it's, it's, it's just hard to explain. And, and that's why, um, like Morgan said at the beginning of this little catch-up interview here, we're in San Diego at the Southern California Game Conference for this week. And it's, it's an honor to be here because we're sitting in the room with a thousand heroes who have stories of their own. We're, we're just three guys sitting around chit-chatting and do you hear some of the stories here? And just honestly, it makes you so freaking proud to be an American. Well, I gotta say it. We have probably lined up, I would say another good seven to eight guests yep. just on this too. We've got a mobster, Michael Franchisi. Yep. Uh, I mean, just uh, his story is gonna be amazing. We've got a guy that's out of the gang intelligence unit in the prisons. You were even talking about that, Aaron. Watching the drones drop stuff and the sophistication of these criminal gangs on the inside. He's going to, we've done master classes now on uh, outlaw motorcycle gangs with Steve Cook. Mm -hmm. uh, we did a master class on uh, organized crime in Canada with Steve Metelsky. There's a lot of Steves there. And then this That's guy's a, good a name. Steve. That's a good name. This guy's yeah. going to be a yeah. Steve. We're going to talk about the Aryan Brotherhood. I mean, so this is a perfect place. But anyway, back to our regularly scheduled podcast. So, um, so tell us about that. You said that conversation was kind of calm. Let's take it on from there. So they, they sit you down, they brief you and yeah, and it, and it was interesting that they kind of were being, I don't want to say forceful, but kind of trying to influence my decision. I mm -hmm. really should stay because we don't want to send the wrong message. And I would just say, as some people know, you know, in the embassies, and in particular Mexico City, not a lot of drug traffickers or organizations, but in Guadalajara, where the main cartels were located, it was every day. I mm -hmm. mean, I lived two blocks from the Comandante and four blocks from Miguel Feliz, and it was a dangerous place. And so I wasn't really sure I wanted somebody from Mexico City who didn't feel this danger mm -hmm. every single day, who hadn't evacuated their wife and child three times already, mm -hmm. to really have that much influence over my decision. Yeah, somebody who could just walk out and have afternoon tea and not worry about it versus you, every time you left, your head's on a swivel, you're, you're checking your car, you're wondering who's following me. We had a, Karen and I had a code uh, when I would call on the phone because we had wiretaps on our homes and our consulate phones. And uh, so we had a code. If I was going to be leaving town, I would not say I was leaving town because that left her abandoned. Mm -hmm. So, I, And I had seven states uh, within central Mexico. So I would say, yeah, what a sunny day. What a beautiful day. You know, or gosh, not much sun today. Anything related with the word sun meant I'm not coming home. Mm -hmm. And so then she knew. And we did that because one day I was with the Mex Feds doing something. And one of the guys says, hey, uh, you going to go out for drinks tonight? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, and before I get answer, he says, and don't tell me. You're going home to have dinner with your wife because we know she's gone. And I'm like, now how would you know Whoa. that my wife is gone? Whoa. Right? Was that, a, was, that a, was that an implied threat or was that more just to say, hey, we're keeping tabs on you he, too? He would just let me know that he knew she wasn't in town. There was no mm -hmm. way he would know that because I would never tell him that. Subtle it was message. a reminder. Mm -hmm. He was on the phone. He knew I was talking to her and she wasn't there. So now, that's fine. Who was, who was tapping you? The feds? The next feds. <laughs> well, at least the Mexicans, for sure. 
Well, that's what I'm saying, you know, and sharing it with the cartel? Well, that's where the corruption was. And, you know, it's really interesting, yeah. to, to Morgan's point, poor Morgan, I keep telling him, dude, you guys got to get that guy on the podcast and that guy on the podcast. And, mm-hmm. and Steve, the other Steve uh, from the prisons, I'm wowed by these guys. Victor, yeah. his story yesterday, and I've known him, but mm-hmm. his story was awesome. Steve's story about these, he showed me these videos. We're sitting in the kind of green room, right? He showed me these videos of drones dropping dope into the prison yards. Like this Holy cow! Crazy. And poor Morgan, Morgan, you got to do that guy and that guy. There's yeah. so many heroes here. Look, I got a list. Murph and I got to sit down later. We got to look. Okay, listen. What's your what's the info here? What's the info? Here? But that's the great thing about this is that, in, as they say in the movie Top Gun, which Top Gun Two is that now? It's a target rich environment. It is a target rich environment. It's these people are impressive, and they are. I kind of feel like the old <clears throat> boomer. Like, yeah, I have a story, and it was interesting, and you know, Steve was part of it, and, and probably responsible for for my part, but. The, the stuff, the work these guys are doing in incredible, uh, incredibly dangerous times, incredibly dangerous offenders, these gang members, these guys, you know, I don't, it's not an overuse of the word hero to talk about what these... Well, and when you consider right. the number of ambushes that law officers are facing, and the other thing, too, it's harder and harder to recruit. You're, it's, they're finding it more difficult to get people to do this work. I think we're kind of coming out of a phase... Kind of this where the again we we stay you know neutral politically, but it's like but you have to recognize what's going on. So there was obviously the huge defund the police movement, but it created impacts. It created lots of deaths because the homicide rate went up. If you looked at the impact the homicide rates when this stuff happened, societies in many places became more dangerous, more cities, and it's not unlike. And you know we were talking yesterday. Get into this a little bit too. Let's finish your debrief and you getting out of the country. But then I'm very concerned too. The more I hear here about how far into the U.S. now the cartel is pushing their military presence and some of the stuff they're doing. But let's finish your debrief real quick. So how, how did you arrive at the decision? You know, what did you do and how long did it take for you then to exfil? You know, so I listened to them. I wanted to be respectful. I had a country attache, an assistant country attache, and I had the guys around me and I didn't want to be emotional, which would have been, you know, get a little upset. So mm-hmm. I just, I wanted to stay calm. So I said, okay, let me think about what you're saying. Knowing in my mind, I knew what I was going to do, but I don't want to be emotional about it. So I called a good friend of mine who was then director of operations, Richie Fiano, who's mm-hmm. been like a godfather to me. And Rich, Richie ended up in Loudoun County working yeah. for Mike yeah, Chapman right. as the head of investigations. Yeah, yeah he's, a, he's a legend in DEA. He is, and, and he's like a big brother to me. In fact, the night we came to see you and Javier at the uh, theater in Washington, yeah. Karen and I and my son Jack had dinner with Richie and Kathy. Oh, nice. And that was the first time Jack had met them, and so they'd heard a lot about each other, and so that was awesome. So to this day, he remains a big brother and mentor and, and, and godfather to me. And so I called him and said, Rich, am I overreacting? And so Richie had been, he's a legendary drug smuggler when he was in Miami, uh, out of La Paz on a Bolivian Air Force jet uh, into the U.S. and then went to Pakistan mm-hmm. uh, during the Mujahideen Russia days. I mean, he's a legend and, and I trust him. I said, Richie, am I overreacting? I think he always called me Fritz. I remind him of a friend that is. Fritz. I don't look German at all. I apparently had a friend who was always eating, which I was always eating. And he named Fritz. said, Fritzy, Fritzy, no, you're not overreacting. You did your time. You did the right thing. You had a great uh, experience down there. And it's time to go. This is a message. Don't yeah. miss the message. Yeah. Time to go. And if there's any pushback, let me know. And so I knew that meant I got your back. And plus, it just reassured me. He would have told me, dude, relax. You'll be fine. Yeah. If I was overreacting. That's why I called him because I trusted him. He said, no, dude, it's time to go. So if they push back, let me know. And so I, I 
you know, called the, the boss and said, look, I, I've thought about this. And I, and I told him, I talked to Richard Fiano, who I really trust. And mm -hmm. I just think it's time, you know, I have a young son and, you know, your priorities, maybe they change a little bit, how you look at things versus when you're single. Um, but I said, I, you know, I, I think I've had a great tour. And I had spoken with Victor Cortez. Oh, yeah. Who uh, had been kidnapped by the state police in Guadalajara and, and tortured for almost a full day before he escaped. He initially told me don't go, but it was too late. I had already agreed to go. and But I took his counsel on how to act when I was there. And so I just kind of put all that information together in my head and said, you know what? It's been good. It's been real. It's been fun. But Adios. It's been real. AMF. It's been fun, but yeah. it hadn't been real fun. Not now. <laughs> it's no longer real fun. And, uh, and I never ever gave it a second chance, a second uh, thought, thought on what that decision. So from the time yeah. your wife left till you left, how long of a time frame was that? Four days. Okay. Four days. But it wasn't the first time that in, in Guadalajara we had to double up with our agents. Each mm -hmm. time there was a threat, that was kind of the plan, was get your wives out of the way, then bunk up with two or three other agents so that we could watch each other's back. Um, and where would you bunk up at? In their houses. Okay. Yeah, because they weren't the target. Now listen, like moving Javi to a different place. We left the consulate and drove home. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't like a freaking mystery. Because the office is not going to move. No. And so there's always a great place to start your surveillance. Oh, yeah. And so, but it was what it was. At least if you had an extra set of eyes. Yeah. yeah watch exactly. your back. And you, and you got a wingman there. Exactly. To ride shotgun. Literally. Literally. Ride shotgun in your car. During one of these uh, incidents, Tom Gomez, who you guys know, right, he, he was an exercise freak. We used to work out together. And, we wanted to go for a run. We weren't supposed to go outside unless we we're going wherever. Tommy's like, dude, let's go for a run. Get your gun, wrap it in a towel, and we would be running on the streets of Guadalajara with our guns wrapped in a towel. Because we, you go stir crazy. So you gotta kind of keep some sense of normalcy. You do. You gotta get through that stress somehow. Yeah, it's silly. I'm well, sure you don't want to do it through alcohol because then you, no. your senses are dulled. No, that yeah, and I've just never been a big drinker, anyways, and I knew that wouldn't be the time to start. Well, I can tell you that, too, because uh, hanging around the Canadians last night, they tied a one-on, so a couple of them are not here early this morning <laughs> like we are. They, <laughs> their senses are very dulled right now. I don't think they even want to hear the alarm clock well, going yeah, It's funny you say that, because when we came in this morning, to the, and we're not going to re reveal the location, because this is they they really keep this conference private because of the, of the possibility of infiltration by gang members here. But as we walked in the door of the facility here, there was uh, Mr. Donut, I mean, you know, the stereotypical... Uh, Cops and donuts, which, by the way, is true, and I, we're okay with that, you know, so it's not a big deal. But then you bring up the Canadians drinking a lot. That's pretty stereotypical, too, but, hey, they lived up to the well, reputation. They, they lived up to the stereotype, and then they tried to get me to stay and do beer pong with them. I said, dude, I'm sorry. Oh, I, I, can't, I can't do this. And so the one guy I was talking to, he's actually going to be uh, – he's coming down to work in the consulate in L.A. for three years. So, oh, nice. So he's been going back. But, yeah, he's like, yeah, I think I'll just stay down here. I'm going to figure out a way. Maybe they'll forget about me, and I'll just stay. Is that the guy with the Mounties? Yeah. 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 So we want to get his story at some point if we can. Well, a couple of them too. So Good. yeah. Good. And one of them, one of them helps with targeting. He's, he's the equivalent like a targeting officer, uh, in CIA parlance or intelligence community parlance. So they target people. He helps puts packages together. Um, but real quickly too, um, Let's talk a little bit, though, about some of your concerns, like what you've heard about the cartel now. I mean, I'm seeing pictures of cartel guys armed mm -hmm. across the border operating in the United States. I mean, a lot of folks think, oh, the again, staying away from politics. You don't have to be political to say, why is a cartel guy armed with a 50 caliber rifle across the border in the United States? I think if I take a half a step back and talk about the Wuhan cartel, in Mexico, mm -hmm. who were the main sources for fentanyl, 
And so I, somebody Are we talking about the same Wuhan, like Wuhan, China? City. Yeah, so that was a principal So in of, addition to COVID, we now have fentanyl. Out of Wuhan. Yeah. And so, the, of course, there was a point where fentanyl could be imported directly to the United States. And, of course, during, I would say, it's just my experience, but during COVID, Customs and Border Protection and Homeland Security took their game to a much higher level. Yeah. It's been really, really impressive to watch and, and proud to watch your brothers in law enforcement do things that mm-hmm. acting on new intelligence really become dynamic. They were dynamic before, but they shifted with this trend very dynamically. And so, of course, what happened? Well, they just moved their, their uh, shipments to Mexico. And then they actually sent chemists to Mexico. Yeah. And so now these chemists are embedded with the cartels, making counterfeit medicines that contain fentanyl. And then that those products are coming across the border like water. And, you know, I think Victor mentioned yesterday, or, or maybe it was Benny uh, somebody, you know, 107,000 overdose deaths in America in 2012. That was Michael Franchisi was actually Michael, bringing up. Yeah. What a, talk about it. A, amazingly interesting guy. Oh, yeah. A mobster, a made man. Yeah. Did time, and now he's talking about fentanyl and the deaths. When yeah. you when you sit in the audience and you initially when you hear about a reformed criminal, um, I'm not quick to say, okay, yeah, right? he's I legit. know we always find God and right. blah, blah. but this guy, not only does he work closely with the church, and live in a community here that I'm familiar with, but yesterday when he said, listen, let's not let's not mistake what's going on here. I want to know that when my grandchildren are walking to and from school that somebody's protecting them. Mm-hmm. I want the cops to have the resources, the manpower, the animal to protect them. I support what the police are doing. I'm like, okay, so you win. And you won me over, right? You're a good, good guy. Uh, and this is a made man in right. a Colombo crime family, in the mafia, one of the five families of New York yeah. saying that. But not the other guy on the stage, which yeah, we'll go unnamed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. no, no reason to go there, but yeah. this guy was really <laughs> impressive. And so for those of you, what's the name of the book? He has a book, right? Uh, he's from, it used to be <clears throat> The Godfather, or it's something that's about. He's got about six books out here. He's got oh. about six. Yeah, yeah he's it, written But several. one of them is about going from The Godfather to The Father of God or something like that. Yeah, and it's, I mean, we're gonna we're gonna we're we're lining him up. We made we talked with him yesterday. We're gonna get him on the podcast and yep. get things because he's got a I mean he's got a whole podcast set up himself. Yeah. And plus, we got to get a hold of him in June because he's got what do you say a two month tour in the UK and Ireland, twenty five cities. He's yep. doing a tour. I, I'm proud of him. I, you know, I don't know him that well, but. Um, but you know, I, but I he wasn't too pretentious. Not like, a, like right. we don't want to give the other guy the. He's not bragging. No, he just he, he's fact based. It's, it's like sitting down and listening to NPR talk about something. It's like here's what I did. Here's why I did it. Yeah. And when we even said, hey, look, all we want to do is talk about your journey. How is it that when you made a left hand turn, it took you this way? But if you'd made a right hand turn, it would have took you the other direction. And that's and that's he said exactly. You know, said so we just all we want to do is understand how did you get to where you were, and then yeah. from there, how did you get to where you are now? Yeah. And, and he's living the life, man. Right. And there have been people who said to me, you know, it sounds like you admire this person, this previously convicted fellow. And I said, it's not even, it's not so much admiration as respect. Yeah. You have to respect what he did. Because a made man in the, in the mob, I mean. And he's alive. I was just going to say, I was going to say, they, they killed those guys. I was just going to say, you don't usually get to just, you know, unenroll. <laughs> you, you know, and so he did what he did. And so you have to respect that. And I've right. never met him before until yesterday. But, but, I, so just noted, but he mentioned the overdose death, so that's why I bring it up. That yeah. He's not really informed on that subject, but he does read the news, and he keeps track of what's going on. And, and this fentanyl issue is like something, even you were saying this morning, Steve, about our old agency, DEA, which I still think is the greatest agency in the U.S. 
but recognizing the transition of the cartels mm-hmm. to adding counterfeit medicines to their portfolio of offerings and then doing the fentanyl and they did it all during COVID with the now new partner from Wuhan, these yep. scientists making fentanyl. It's, it's tragic. You know what else they're doing too? And I've heard this from the guys out of Colorado and some other places. The cartels now are coming in and buying up all the quote legal grow operations and taking them over as well. So you're pushing out all of these other folks. So the minute they control all of the stuff, what do you think is going to happen? Well, I think it's funny because I've spoken with people in the legal cannabis industry that are all looking for security and kind of ideas of what's going on. And I think they discount the fact that initially, when you start setting quotas in, in states that legalize cannabis, well, how do you know what the quota is? How many people are going to smoke cannabis this year? How would you know? There's hmm. no base, right? So most of the quotas were low. Well, when the quota is up and you can't sell anymore, you still want to be in business. So they were still sourcing cannabis from Mexico. So they're never really out of the equation. But to your point, these guys can come in with their weapons and, mm-hmm. and firepower and knowledge and intimidation and take over these operations. Yes, and, and not to go into legalization, because you know that, guys, that I'll get on my little soapbox here. <laughs> but but everybody says, well, if we legalize drugs in the United States, that'll stop the violence. We've legalized marijuana in a lot of states. you still got the Mexicans coming up here. They're not going to give up their business. That's easy money for them. You know, it's billions just, of dollars. Why would they walk away? Exactly. And you're talking about how they're coming across armed into the United States now. They're going to protect their territory. Some of the videos we saw yesterday, if you did not know the context, you would have thought that that was a military uh, unit. Oh, my gosh. Armed with one? heavy weapons, armored vehicles, tactics, night vision gear. I mean, everything. And it's kind of like, you want to talk about who's outgunned? The cops absolutely down there are outgunned. You're bringing a pea shooter against a howitzer. I mean, you're not exactly. going to win this engagement. And, and, and Morgan, it's not just on the border. I was sitting next to the gentleman we're talking about from the prison gangs, and they had an Aryan Brotherhood guy paroling from prison. And for some, they had some uh, outstanding issues in California, so they wouldn't let him parole to California. So what do you do? They paroled him to Utah. Well, guess what? He didn't change his ways. Mm-hmm. Now he's recruiting in Utah. Yeah. So now there's an A-B issue in Utah. So it's not just the border. Every no. time they parole somebody to another area or these traffickers look for a new area, like the fentanyl explosion, mm-hmm. they move into these uh, blue-collar cities and states where there's an issue and an expanding. Yeah. And you know what else? It's very similar to the way MS-13 used to grow. They would move into areas where there was a smaller police presence. They didn't have the resources like a larger town would, and they could they could move and expand at a much faster rate doing exactly stuff like that. Well, yeah. the police officers are playing catch-up very quickly in a very under a very dangerous environment. And, and you don't the police don't have the financial resources to to catch up. No. no. And how would they, if you're, yeah, I went to school in Pocatello, Idaho, went to college. If MS-13 showed up there tomorrow, first day you have to figure out what it is. Then they got to figure out what to do about it. Mm-hmm. And you don't just read about it in the library, right? So you got to get some of these guys who are here mm-hmm. to start. And so they're doing training all over the country right now in local communities that are seeing this problem newly arrive. It's frightening what's happening. It is. Well, it you've is. got the gangs now that have new revenue sources. So you go from selling dope or meth or crystal. Now you've got fentanyl. You've got all sorts of other things. And the point, too, about the other thing people miss about why uh, the Mexican cartels will not give up the marijuana and the weed so easily is because if you buy if you buy weed legally in a lot of places, it's actually more than what you could buy it for on the street because yeah. there's tax on it. Oh, <laughs> yeah. it's significantly more expensive. Well, and you know one of the biggest, so I learned this from an ATF guy one time working down at Justice. They, he was saying, yeah, we're working this huge cigarette case. And I'm going, yeah, that doesn't sound sexy at all until he said, no, here's what's happening. You've got Hezbollah was coming in, buying this stuff, 
before the tax stamp was applied to it, or they were doing counterfeit tax stamps, so they could charge the full price for the pack of cigarettes and uh, just recoup their cost. But then they, the difference they make was the tax, which was excessive, and that money was directly going back to fund terrorism. Well, this afternoon, I'm going to speak about the counterfeit medicine issue, and then Chris Buckner from Investigative Consultants will talk about organized crime, MS-13, and other intellectual property rights offenses, counterfeiting. And he'll talk about Middle Eastern terrorist groups and cigarettes in particular, but he'll also talk about luxury goods, handbags, and you know, people think, oh, I'll go down to Canal Street in New York, buy myself a new Louis Vuitton bag for 50 bucks, great deal. Yeah, it's, it's not a Louis Vuitton bag. No, it's $6,000, <laughs> right, yeah. at Macy's or Nordstrom. And Chris will talk about how in virtually every, every one of those investigations, the proceeds track back to an organized crime group. And to your point about the cigarettes, in Virginia, you get a wholesale license. Then you buy your cigarettes, no taxes. Then you ship those cigarettes to California, and it's, it's $6 per pack, taxes alone. Good so Lord. you can sell them for, you just make a ton of money. And yeah. you got them wholesale with no taxes in Virginia. Mm-hmm. So, and those are legitimate products. But the, the, the area of what we call gray market arbitrage, you're selling legal products, but you're exploiting the tax infrastructure. The tax loophole. Yeah. And the money goes right back to fund terrorism. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't remember the Charlie Hebdo massacre in France. Yeah. These two brothers were selling counterfeit jeans. They were this target of a wiretap by the French National Police. When they heard they were selling counterfeit jeans, they're like, why are we tapping these two guys? Blue like, jeans. Who, yeah, who okay. cares? Mm-hmm. They were doing that to raise money to buy the weapons to do the attack. They were terrorists. So we just have to disabuse ourselves of the notion that counterfeit goods are just an opportunity for you know regular folks to have a Rolex yeah. or a Louis Vuitton bag. Yeah. It's all criminally based. It all goes back to fund some other dangerous terrorist act, and we need to take it seriously. And that's why I'm so I'm so grateful that Steve asked me to come out to this event because this is one more opportunity for these gang guys to get into somebody's house, into their back room, into their bank account. Look for these guys selling medicines at flea markets and swap meets and other places. And, you know, people used to, people used to look at me kind of weird-eyed like you guys do most of the time when we're here. (laughs) When I was a detective, though, but one of the things I would do is we would do raids and we would make arrests, especially on dopers, and you know what we would find all the time? And I started saying, okay, there's a pattern here, how do I exploit it? We would find food stamps. They would go on food stamps Mm -hmm. and get food stamps. So... To have food stamps, you had to be registered with State Rehabilitation and Social Services, what we called SRS. And if you did not, you were you were in illegal possession of food stamps. So every case we would do, I'd find out, or I'd call SRS, or they registered? Nope, they're not. And I would charge them. And depending on how much they had, it would go from a misdemeanor to a felony. So I would, you'd get a couple charges here. I'd stack a bunch of charges on the other side. They go, you're charging people with possession of food stamps? Yeah. And you know why? Where it led to? We did the first food stamps for dope case. In Kansas, with the U.S. Secret Service, federal food stamps, because the only place you could, the Secret Service was the only agency authorized to get them from FDA or not um, um, Department of Agriculture, and so, and but nobody knew what the what the exchange rate was for. Well, how much food yeah. stamps for dope? What's the exchange rate? So we, we made a killing the first couple deals on that. So you know what's funny about that? One of my favorite uh, agents up in San Francisco, I'll mention his name, but I think you know him. He was on our SWAT team. Great guy, an accountant, bodybuilder. He had a Universal gym machine in his living room in his apartment. No <laughs> furniture. You can sit on the incline bench or a flat bench to watch TV. Uh, Priorities, brother. Yeah. So, uh, but when, when DEA had decided to start moving agents every three to four years for diversity of experience, they were going to move him somewhere he didn't want to go. So he resigned and went to USDA in Phoenix, where he's from, 
And he would call and say, I see more dope than you guys every day. So how could you see more dope than us? Because I'm trading food stamps for crack. There you go. He says, that's the, all these people have food stamps, they want crack. So we're doing reverse undercovers. And he says, I'm the food stamp police. But he was seeing dope like crazy in Phoenix for that front. Case. And you know what? If any that that should upset any tax-paying citizen Precisely. in the United States, because food stamps are made for people that actually need them, not for criminals to exploit and make additional profits for themselves. It's just outrageous. And I still think I hold the record for most charges for food stamps. For food stamps. <laughs> Good for you, man. Good for you. But who would know? Exactly. Right. But but that's well, like we were talking about, Victor was talking yesterday, too, about on the stage, because he worked probation and parole beforehand. He knew a couple of things, which one of the questions you asked is, are you, were you using your nephew to avoid detection? And yes, that was an automatic one-year enhancement to their sentence. So, mm. look, guys, it's, it really, it's all about playing the game. You have to understand how the game's played. Now, right. we, just want, we don't want to do a full podcast here. We're just like doing catch-up. So let's finish off by telling us what you're going to talk about here today. Yeah, so today I'm going to, again, kind of raise awareness with, the, with these investigators about the involvement of organized crime in counterfeit medicines. And in particular, we see a lot of engagement with MS-13. And uh, it's frightening. And they're making these medicines down in El Salvador, shipping them to the United States, and uh, and typically they sell them in largely Hispanic communities. And so the, the biggest thing for me right now, and I've kind of married my personal uh, interest and passion with my profession, and growing up in San Diego in, in a Hispanic culture, and, and, and Hispanic culture has been very generous with me, and I learned how to speak Spanish as a child, and I just, I see this vulnerable uh, community mm -hmm. who's been mm -hmm. disenfranchised from a lot of benefits, and we don't have to get into the immigration policy because politics is, is icky, but I think we can all agree that everybody deserves access to good health care ah. and to safe medicine. And the first part of that is to tell them where not to buy medicine. Right? You can't buy medicine at the flea market or swap meet because it's dangerous. We don't know what it is. Yeah. So let's figure out how to make sure that that product can't be sold there. And that's what we see these MS-13 gang members is taking advantage of their own people. And so they sell these medicines in the bodegas and botanicas and flea markets. And then, you know, people go buy the medicine. Oh, that's the same cough medicine that grandma always took and mm -hmm. mom and dad always took. So we'll buy it for It's familiar. Right. But then we find the medicine has no medicine in it. There's no active pharmaceutical ingredient. Or it contains uh, ethylene glycol, right, radiator cooling. Oh, mm -hmm. And now we're talking about the potential for renal Lit failure yeah. in small children. And so now you have a woman who doesn't speak the language, may not uh, have legal documentation, so she's reticent to go to the hospital or a doctor, and she can't afford the medicines at the, at the uh, pharmacy. Mm -hmm. She can't go get a prescription from a doctor, but she's, oh, I recognize that particular brand, that medicine. They buy it for their child. And I always say, you know, small children are a little bit like animals. They can't really tell you what's hurting, how bad it hurts. Right. So you have to, like, go by what you're seeing. And you can see a small child who has a cough, uh, might turn into pneumonia, might turn into sepsis, and then they die. Mm -hmm. And they die because they never got treated with a real medicine. There's a city attorney uh, in Los Angeles who's just a phenomenally progressive city attorney, really smart, and they do abatements in Los Angeles as part of the civil procedure. So we'll do the criminal case, but then he'll do these abatements where people get banned from working in, in Los Angeles for 10 years, and they get restitution. And we do that with our chemical analysis. So if we can provide a chemical analysis that shows the jury this medicine had no medicine in it, yeah. or this medicine had uh, the wrong API, we see some medicines that should have this particular active ingredient, like uh, you pick up an active ingredient, but instead it has uh, the active ingredient acetaminophen, which is in Tylenol. Well, 
Acetaminophen toxicity is number one cause of liver transplant surgery in the United States. Wow, I didn't know that. People are aware of that. So that's why if you take too much Tylenol, you end up with liver toxicity. It's the number two cause globally, number one cause in the United States of liver transplant surgery is liver toxicity, often caused by too much acetaminophen. Wow. Well, see these bad guys making medicine that does not contain acetaminophen in the, in the, in the formulation, but it has acetaminophen. Well, now patients are taking too much acetaminophen unknowingly, mm -hmm. but now imagine, your, your friend down the street who's from El Salvador, Guatemala, Mexico, getting an overdose of acetaminophen, now their lower back hurts, they're peeing blood, they have no idea why. Mm -hmm. And they're afraid to go to the hospital, right. get medical care. Right. So the preying on this vulnerable, marginalized community, uh, it's, it's, it's annoying. And little, these guys are literally, literally getting away with murder. Literally, right? So yep. now you have this death, and I'll talk about it today. A friend of mine who I've met, she and her sister came to the U.S. from Veracruz uh, with visas to work. And, of course, they stayed over their visas, but they were both working two jobs, paying taxes the whole nine yards, but had no insurance. One of the, one, her sister went to get some a medicine one day from a curandero, a, 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 you know, illegal doctor. She got two injections, came home, and uh, was relatively unresponsive to her sister. And it was a Sunday. And... They, uh, she stayed home, and Esmeralda went to church, she came home, and her sister was unresponsive, took her to the UCLA Medical Center, and she died within hours. I have the medical report, the coroner's report, and uh, they don't know what she died of. She didn't smoke, she didn't drink, she didn't take drugs, she's perfectly healthy. This guy had given her two injections of known counterfeit medicines. So, and you've made the point that in that great video we did together with you, me, and Javi about, okay, so if somebody is sick, and they die of a, of a fatal disease, cancer, we don't do a, an autopsy because they mm -hmm. had a fatal disease. Yeah. Yeah, but what if they got something that, you know, hastened their death? Right. But we're not looking at it because they had cancer. Mm -hmm. Well, how often does that happen? We're seeing a lot of counterfeit cancer medicines today. A lot. Because those are high cancer. dollar things. Exactly. Yep. We saw recently six different uh, batches of the same counterfeit medicine in Mexico. So if, if I'm a counterfeiter, I make counterfeit medicines, I make a batch, I can put that batch number on everything because I'm selling it everywhere. Right. I don't have to make six batches. So that tells most of us there's six people making this particular counterfeit medicine. So it's floating around Mexico. So that's the other thing. We see the new generation Guadalajara cartel now doing uh, nearly a billion dollars in counterfeit medicines annually. Billion? Yeah. 775 million they have documented. So, you know, that's light that's by low. something. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's in addition to marijuana, heroin, cocaine, methamphetamine. Well, you know wow. what? They, did in the they got NBAs working from. They're diversifying all of their uh, no, streams of revenue. But it just gives me goosebumps and it annoys me. I love Mexico. You know, I lived there. I grew up on the border. And you have 99%, just like in Colombia, 99.9% .9 of the people are good, God-fearing, Roman Catholic, Catholic, you know, Catholics who want to just live. Yeah. Yeah. And they're being preyed upon by these traffickers. And, Big time. And, and nobody's helping them. Yeah. They're real hostages. So that's what I'm going to talk about today. And, and just give these guys another tool, mm -hmm. another weapon in their armament. To, to make cases. Out, to make cases. Well, remember, Sweet. kids, rule number one, don't do meth. Rule number two, there's no such thing as an online Canadian pharmacy. Exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. Exactly. <laughs> and remember, and, and, and Morgan. Give us the website again, yeah, too. Safe.pharmacy. Like, if you get an ad for a, a, a less expensive medicine, prescription medicine, and you they, oh, look at this, honey, we can save 20%. Safe.pharmacy. Please that, remember that, everybody. Yeah. That's the most important takeaway from this discussion really. right and now. And that's the National Association Boards of Pharmacy vetting site. 
If you have a question about our online pharmacy, type it in there. It will tell you, not on our authorized list of online pharmacies to purchase medicines from. Do not purchase from there. And do not go to an online pharmacy before doing that. It, it could save a life. Safe.pharmacy. Yeah. Yep. Safe.pharmacy. All right. Well, that's our great takeaway. So, look, we're going we're gonna to cut this off here now. We're going to let you get back and get ready because you still have more donuts to eat. <laughs> yeah. Hey, they got bacon on them. They got bacon on them. Oh. Oh. I told the guys, handcuff me if I come back with more than one donut. Handcuff me. Don't let me near those things again. Hey, thanks, guys. Aaron, okay, thank you guys. very much. Yeah, thanks, buddy. Thank you. Players, that's the end of part one, our Southern California Gang Conference recap. We've got some more stories coming up for you, including a special guest we just ran into at the conference that is related to one of our earliest guests on the show. This is a great story. Make sure you stay tuned for it. Also, go check us out, GameOfCrimesPodcast.com, our website. We've got our merch list there, our book list there, lots of good things there. Also, check us out on the socials, at Game of Crimes on Twitter, at Game of Crimes Podcast on Facebook and the Instagram. But where you got to be, where you got to be, where you got to be, Patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. We have so much good stuff coming out on that, including our new upcoming The Real DEA Narcos on The Real DEA Narcos Cali Edition. 16 hours of stuff you have never heard anywhere else. You'll only hear one place. That's Patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. Make sure you stay tuned for Part 2, the Southern California Gang Conference Recap. And thank you once again for playing the biggest, baddest, most dangerous game of all, The Game of Crimes. Thank you.